It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder, pastor of North Shore Vineyard. Today on the podcast we have part 56 in our series on the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at John chapter 16 when Jesus offers some words about the hard times that his disciples are going to face. These are good words, not only for them, but for anyone who is endeavoring to follow Jesus. You can stay in touch with all the various things we got going on at NorthShoreVineyard.org. Check that out. And uh, for now, we're just going to head to the talk. Thanks for listening. North Shore Vineyard Church. This morning, we're going to continue our look into the Gospel of John, part 56. Uh, Before we get into the message, I I read a blog a few weeks ago that was really good. I can't remember the the name of the guy who wrote it, uh, but it was good. And the the name of the blog was My Problem with the Bible, uh, something like that. And in 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 this blog, he began talking about... How, you know, kind of basic Bible study stuff. And we, we emphasize this here. If you really want to understand the Bible, uh, like take, take a book like 1 Corinthians. You can't just read 1 Corinthians like a modern Western American and expect to really get the meaning out of it. There's, there's a lot of things that, that, that really applied to the, to the world as it was back at that time. So if you truly want to understand 1 Corinthians, you need to kind of have a little bit of a, an understanding of what was going on in the world at that time, uh, what was going on in the government, the, you know, a little bit of Roman history to give you a little context. And we believe that. Uh, if, if you read the book of Isaiah, it helps to understand uh, you know, the situation going on with Israel, captivity and different things like that, uh, Jeremiah. And so this guy was just making the statement that, that, you know, that that's basic Bible study stuff. But he said, the problem is, it's very hard for us Americans to enter into an understanding of the Bible because we don't have much of a grid for it because... Uh, as Americans, we have much more in common with, say, the Romans or the Babylonians in the, in the Bible than we do with the Hebrew people. Uh, have you ever heard the saying that, that history, history books are written by the victors? You know, the, the ones who, who win are the ones who usually write the history books. So American history, the dominant, the dominant view of American history is written by uh, a bunch of white guys from Europe. And so it, it, it tells a certain story. But if, if you got the, the Cherokee version of American history, don't you know the, the story would be a little bit different, right? It wouldn't be like, yay. It's kind of like, really? History books tend to be written by the ones who win and annihilate the other groups. But the thing is, with the Bible, it's the one history book that was written by the losers, 
It's the one history book that we have that, that, that was written by the marginalized, the powerless, and the weak. I mean, if you look at the Old Testament, the, the children of Israel, they, they start off as, as slaves to Egypt. They have a, a couple of hundred years where, where things are good, but then they're, they're, they're dominated by Babylon, the Assyrians, the Greeks, and then in the New Testament, it's the Romans. We see that the first Christians, that they were persecuted, the, the followers of Jesus, every single one of them, the, the the 12 disciples, or 11 of them, uh, besides Judas, were, were uh, martyred. We see that the church for the first 300 years it, it was persecuted. Gladiator battles in Rome, Nero, different people. It, the Christianity, the, the, the stories of the people in the Bible were, were people who did not have power. They did not have prominence. They did not have, for the most part, wealth and possessions. These were people who were weak, who were powerless, who were on the edges of, of things. And, and, and that's why the gospel was such good news. You know, when Jesus said, blessed are, you, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you if you don't have anything. The kingdom is for you. you. You get to get in. The problem is, though, and this is what the guy brings up in this thing, is that as Americans, it's very hard for us to wrap our mind around what it means to be marginalized, what it means to be weak and powerless and not have things. I suspect in this room, most folks in here, uh, if you've got more than one person in your house, you've probably got more than one vehicle. Uh, Probably most people in here have multiple TVs, multiple computers, multiple smartphones. Uh, you, you, you probably live in a house that's more than one room. Uh, we're incredibly blessed. In the history of the world, there have been hardly anybody as blessed as those of us in this room right now. I mean, we're, you know, talk about the, the, the 1%. I mean, like we're like the, the top one hundredth of a percent in, in the history of the world. We're like so incredibly blessed. Look at somebody next to you say, you're blessed. <laughs> and so as, as, as Americans who are so blessed, blessed with, uh, with, with material wealth and prosperity, it's very hard for us to understand this idea of people who are being persecuted. I mean, look, we meet here on a Sunday morning. Do, is anybody anxious that, that at any moment the government's going to walk in here and shut this thing down? I mean, no, we don't, <laughs> yeah, except you. Uh, we're, we, we experience, like, tremendous freedom. We live in a country where you get to vote. I mean, realize how crazy that is in the history of the world. Like, you get to vote. Like, as a regular, you don't have to own property. You don't have to be a certain uh, ethnicity. You don't have to have a certain amount. Of, you get to vote. It's crazy. We're blessed. But it's very hard when, when people that are as blessed as we are come to the Bible and try to read it because uh, we, we bear more resemblance to Rome and more resemblance to Babylon than we do to the Jewish people. We're the guys who own everything. <laughs> We're the guys who've got it great. And I think this is one of the reasons that the, the prosperity gospel has, has, has become so popular in America is because it, it kind of validates all our stuff. It validates, like, you know, all the stuff that we have is just God blessing us because he loves us and stuff. Well, you know, the prosperity gospel has not existed except for in the past, like, 50 or 60 years. It's brand new in the history of Christianity. 
And I think what it does is that, that, that we, we like this idea that we got all this stuff because God just really loves us and we're doing things right. That, that plays to our ego and stuff. But what I want to tell you today is a different story of the gospel. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he'd probably get kicked out of a lot of churches in America for sharing this gospel. And it won't sound like good, to, good news to you at first. <laughs> the title of this message is, Hard Times Are Coming. I got up on Sunday and came to church for this. Hard times are coming. We're going to pick it up in in the Gospel of John chapter 16. Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, Truly I tell you, it, oh, let me make sure I've got the right. No, I don't, I don't, let me me put my notes back in order here. I was going to start y'all out on page three. Some of y'all are like, yes, sweet. Jesus in John chapter 16 says this, all this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Pretty bad, pretty bad times ahead. Like somebody thinks they're doing God a favor by eliminating you. That's, act, that's act what happened to Jesus, right? Um, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I, do not, I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. Now, Keep in mind, up to this point, following Jesus for the disciples has been just exciting. It's been a crazy adventure. It's, it's kind of the stuff, like we like to major on the stuff that, that happened in the ministry of Jesus up to this point because it's exciting. You know, Jesus is, is healing blind people. He's, uh, you know, people who are tormented by spirits are getting set free. He's touching and cleansing the lepers. He's, he's multiplying a sack lunch to feed 5,000 people. And the disciples have seen all this stuff. Not only that, the, the disciples have seen that, that Jesus has actually raised somebody from the dead, probably multiple people from the dead. Imagine how exciting that would be. Like, like you go from the point of like, wow, like who can stop this guy? And just a couple of days before Jesus tells them this, remember they've been welcomed into Jerusalem during Passover festival and the people are welcoming Jesus as the Messiah. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're putting down palm branches and laying down their cloaks, welcoming Jesus in. That was a sign of welcoming in royalty, a, a, a dignitary. And I know the disciples, I know what they're thinking, because it'd be what I was thinking. And I can tell that Peter's this kind of guy. Man, any moment now, we're going to be in charge. We're going to be running this thing. We're going to kick the Romans out. We're going to establish God's kingdom. But in the midst of this excitement, Jesus delivers this warning. Hard times are coming. Jesus is telling them, your temptation very shortly is going to be to fall away because of what's going to happen. Keep in mind, Jesus is talking to them during dinner. The next day, Jesus will be going to the cross. Can you imagine what that would be like? You have, you have put your whole life on hold. You've, you've left the family business. You've, you've left your comfort to follow this itinerant rabbi, prophet guy, and things are going great, and then all of a sudden, he gets captured, tortured, 
and crucified, hung up for everybody to see, naked and bloody in front of the whole world. Can you imagine what that would do to you? And Jesus says, your temptation very soon is going to to want to fall away. You're going to want to give up. You're going to be so filled with grief. You're going to think that God's not in this. But understand that this, these hard times are even a part of what God is doing. Don't anybody shout me down now. These hard times that you're about to face are actually a part of what it means to follow me. Do you ever, do you ever find when, when something bad happens, whether it's a, a bounce check or a flat tire or some kind of thing happens in life, do you ever feel like God's mad at you and he's punishing you? Anybody want to be honest? I do. I struggle. I mean, I've been following Jesus for 20 years. I believe that God loves me. And still sometimes like, you know, oh, we get into financial difficulty. Oh, God's mad at me. He's punishing me. Now sometimes, okay, yeah, sometimes we, we, we pay the penalty for our stupid choices, right? We do things stupid and we reap the benefits of that. But sometimes there's just random bad stuff that happens. And it's so easy in these moments when, when bad things happen, when you face a sickness or disease or, or relational chaos or you get laid off, there's so easy to think, oh man, I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing enough. God's mad at me. Maybe if I just gave a little bit more money to the church the other day, God would, would be on my side. Or maybe if I read my Bible or maybe if I, I didn't slip up and say that cuss, cuss word when I was driving on the South Shore, you know. Because that's where you cuss on the road, right? I never cuss on my commute from Abita to here. It's, it's <laughs> Our temptation when we get into hard times is to think that God's mad at us. Jesus is saying, these times that you face, it's not about God being mad at you. It's part of the deal of following me. You may, you may start doubting your experience. I know I've gotten to that place in my own journey sometimes where things just get so bad, I start to doubt. You ever, you ever feel that way before? Like, you know, was this Jesus thing? I mean, did, did I really experience God or was that just something I ate? <laughs> you know, I've, I've had amazing experiences with God over the years, but sometimes I get into such a place where things are going south so bad. I'm just like, you know, is, is this real? Is this just something I made up? And Jesus says, when you get into hard times, you will be tempted to fall away, to give up, to doubt. Don't. I'm telling you this on the front side so when it happens, you'll you'll not lose heart. See, the truth is, if you seek, seek to live out the ways of Jesus, you will face resistance. Does it ever strike you odd that, that Jesus, in his preaching the gospel... He never once advocated people picking up weapons and overthrowing the government. His message was all about loving God and loving people. He, 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 he walked around in humility. He was very peaceful. He, and yet he was a threat to the religious and, and political establishment. I mean, he never once tried to, he didn't even talk about Rome. He didn't talk about, he didn't fight about how bad Rome was. He didn't ever mention Rome. And yet he was a threat to Rome. He was a threat to the religious leaders. The truth is, people throughout history, even some people who are not Christians, who followed the the, the ways of Jesus, have have ended up in the same place. They they get killed. 
somebody like Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr., if you seek to walk the ways of Jesus, you will be a threat to the world around you. You will face resistance. And we're not exempt from that if we seek to walk the ways of Jesus. And so oftentimes what gets preached as the gospel in America is that, that the core of the gospel is God just wants, just wants to save you so he can just bless you and give you all kinds of material blessings and just to show the world that he loves you. That's really not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus loves you and he's going to be with you and you're going to go through some really hard stuff, but you're going to find him in the midst of that and you're going to find that, that, that his life is greater than anything you've experienced in your circumstances. Jesus goes on in verse 7. He says, Very truly I tell you, it is good for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, much more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. You know, in Pentecostal charismatic expressions of the church, there's often an emphasis on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophecy, things like that. But you know, I think the biggest gift of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus is talking about right here. You're going to go through really hard times. It's going to get rough, but I'm sending you the comforter, the spirit of truth, that in the midst of your trials... In the midst of the, the hardship that you're facing, you will experience God in the depths of your being. He will lead you into truth. You're rela- it, it, and Jesus says this. He said, it's good that I go. It, it, well, it doesn't make sense to y'all right now, but it's good that I'm leaving because your relationship is going to go from being with an external person to an internal reality. Now you're going to have my spirit on the inside of you, and he's going he's to teach you all these things that I haven't even had time to say to you. He's going to bear witness because he's hearing what he he gets from me. So Jesus starts off by talking about hardships, and then he goes on to say that this is where you will begin to to experience my spirit. See, one of the greatest blessings that a Christ follower can experience in their life is not more material possessions, not even better health. It is the experience of, of the, the, the presence of God in the midst of hard times. You know, most of us don't learn much from God when things are going good, right? You ever notice that? <laughs> when all the bills are getting paid, there's no problems with my wife, the kids are obeying me, nothing happens, Right? Everything's good, but I don't, I don't change at all. I'm, I'm just going to be stuck in the way that I am. But it's in the midst 
of being forced into the fires, the trials of life, that, that when you dig down and you find the Holy Spirit, it changes you. You find transformation if you don't give up. If you hold on to God, He will bring something crazy good out of your crazy bad situation. This is the way Jesus speaks about it. In verse 20, he says, Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. When Jesus goes to the cross the next day, the world is going to rejoice. They've, they've killed God's son. And you're going to be filled with grief. But your grief will turn into joy. Verse 21, he says, A woman giving, a birth, giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but you will see again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. Faith. Faith's got a new baby here. Three weeks old? Indy? Two and a half weeks old. Now, for those of you who's... Yeah, congratulations, Faith. <laughs> now, Faith... Been on bed rest like a, a, a month before that happened, or more than that? Six weeks. This was, was this the toughest baby that you've had? Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, but it's worth it, right? Jesus says the way that we're supposed to look at our trials and our suffering is like a, a woman who is, who's pregnant with a child. That's the analogy he gives for us. And pregnancy, I mean, I've never been pregnant. Just disclaimer. <laughs> had a little something to do with it once but uh, uh, I've never been pregnant but I've seen a lot of pregnant people before and it's, it's crazy some of the stuff that I mean let's not talk about the physical stuff for a minute let's just talk about just crazy crazy <laughs> when, yeah oh yeah you know Dina um it was funny, several years ago, we are getting ready to move to New Orleans when I took the job as the, the worship leader down there at the New Orleans Vineyard, and she's just like real upset for a couple of days, like just nothing makes her happy, and I let her have it. It was, it was bad. I mean, I just, I tell her, you're the most miserable person I've ever met. Nothing makes you happy. I mean, you're just, you're just sad all the time and weepy and you complain. And I find out like two hours later, like she's pregnant with our son Ezra. And I felt like, Mary, you know, it makes you, you know, being pregnant, you know, it's, it's emotionally crazy. Not to mention, your, does any moms get a crazy, like, super sense of smell sensitivity? Dina, she's got a good sense of smell normally. She smells things that I can't smell. <laughs> but when she was pregnant with Tevia, it was just, I had to fight rejection all the time. I would, I would sit down next to her and she's like, I, I do not like the smell of you. <laughs> like, like, what do you mean? I just got out of the shower five minutes ago. She's like, the smell of you disgusts me. <laughs> you, 
you make me nauseous. I still love you, but you are turning my stomach by being in the same room with me. And it was really hard not to, <laughs> not to feel horribly rejected. But as a, as a woman uh, that's pregnant, you, you, you've got physical discomfort. You've got emotional uh, things going all over the place. But it gets worse too, right? It's not like a couple of months into it. Yeah, maybe you stop having morning sickness. But I mean, pregnant women that I've observed, it, it, life gets more difficult, right? I mean, we, we had to take... Faith off the worship team, you know, it's, it's, it's starting to get hard for her to get around. I know when Dina was pregnant, it was hard for her to get into bed, and it was really hard for her to get out of it. Like, everything in life was difficult. If she would drop something on the floor, she'd just give up. Like, I, I guess I don't need that. I need to get a new one. It's, it's tough. But this is the analogy that Jesus uses. Consider our trials like, like a, a woman who's pregnant. And the, the Apostle Paul puts it like this, Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. When you hold that baby, when you see a mother hold that baby for the first time, it doesn't matter how crazy their pregnancy has been. It doesn't matter how long they've been on bed rest, how, how difficult everything. The moment they hold that newborn baby in their hands, it just all dissolves away. All the suffering is eclipsed by the joy of new life. And Jesus says, this is what's going on in you. If you don't lose heart, understand that, that even in the midst of your trials, God is working new life within you. And when that new life comes, you're going to enjoy it so much that, that you're, it's going to take the sting away from everything that you've been through. And when I look over my life as a Christian, uh, I, I think that, that that kind of process has happened on many occasions. There are times where I have gone through very hard things in my Christian journey, and I wanted to give up. I wanted to think that God was mad at me. I, I was just like, uh, just grief and, and, and anxiety. But yet, when I began to come to the other side of that and experience the life that it produced, it, it took the sting away. You know, it, it, it is the suffering that we go through. It's the hard times that actually uh, brings compassion into our life. It actually brings us wisdom, brings us true love, brings us transcending peace. You know, until you go through hard stuff, guess what? It's all theory. It's all theory. I don't care what you believe about God and his goodness and all that. Until you go through some times where you've got to figure out God's goodness in a new way, it's just all theory. And actually, until you go through the fire, you're just going to be a jerk. You are. I remember before I got married, I used to love giving people relationship advice. People be having problems with their, with their, with their marriage. And I, oh, well, all you need, here's your problem right here. You just need to do this, this, and this. You know, you tried listening to, you know, reading Gary Smalley or listening to Focus on the Family. You just need to do this, this, and this. You know, very pat religious answers. But once I got married, about three days after our honeymoon, I realized this thing was going to be a lot harder than I thought. <laughs> I mean, very hard. It, I, I, we, we tell the, the marriage class thing that, that we do here, like, I mean, really, we, I, I, I didn't think there was any chance in hell that our marriage was going to last. 
I mean, and this was like three months into it. This wasn't like I'd been in a long, loveless marriage. This was just like, it was always fighting, always tense. And that was like the first two years. It took us like five years to actually like being around each other. You know, I mean, really, it took us like five years to be friends. And so Dina and I now, it, it's, it, we kind of laugh like that we're teaching this, this uh, marriage course thing on Tuesday nights. We're just like, who would have ever thought that we would have anything to, to offer people that were having relationship issues? Who would have ever thought? Going through the fire and experiencing the life on the other side, that, that, that changed me. And so now when I find a couple that's having relationship problems, I, I'm not a jerk. I don't try to give them pat religious answers. Now I'm like, I, I feel you. <laughs> I understand. I get it. I got compassion. And, it, and it's that way with all kinds of things. It was until I began wrestling with my own addictive tendencies that, that I began to have compassion on people who had addictions. It's everything that, that you go through the fire and you got to dig down with all your heart and find God in the midst of it. When you do that, the fruit that, um, the fruit that, that will bring forth is like the newborn life of a new baby. And when you finally get to experience that fruit, you're like, it was worth it. I look back now on all the horrible things that I went, and I, I don't mean to say like, I've just, I, nobody knows how bad my life's been. Look, okay, there's people been through a lot worse stuff than me. I'm not, but I look back at the hardest things that I've experienced, whether in marriage or church or in finances or in jobs or relationships with other people. And on the things that I stuck with God in and, 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 and held on to him through, I'm thankful now. I'm really thankful for those things that I've gone through. I tell people all the time, had I not had so many bad experiences with church in those early years, I wouldn't be the pastor that I am today. You know? God used that to work for his good. And so this isn't, what I'm trying to tell you this morning is it's not just like, you know, accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, latch on the affirmative it it's not just trying to put a happy face on all you know how, how you doing oh bless god i'm doing good god's good all the time praise the lord no this, this is this is this means that that we can go through hard times we can acknowledge that they're hard times but understand that this is a part of the process and that god has not left us alone that his spirit is with us as much in the hard times as he is in the good times. As much in, in, in the relational issues that we face, in the economic stress that we face, in the addictions that we face. He's with us as much as in that as he is on a Sunday morning when we're singing worship. He's right there. And he's bringing new life. And somehow God uses the things that, 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 that we go through. He actually ends up using those to be a part of his process to touch the world around him. I, I love uh, one of my favorite Bible scholars, N.T. Wright, wrote this. I, I posted this on Facebook yesterday. He said, as we engage in the cross-shaped ministry of reconciliation, we must not be surprised if from time to time it feels as though we ourselves are being pulled apart 
We talk of taking up a cross or having a cross to bear as though God somewhat arbitrarily gave each of us some pain or trouble just to make things difficult for us, to stop, of ha- stop us from having too easy of a life. But that isn't so. We ourselves as whole persons are caught up in the process in ways beyond our understanding so that our suffering, whatever it may be, becomes a part of Christ's own passion, of God's own passion, and as such brings healing and reconciliation of the world. We will not understand in the present time how it is that our pain, our illness, our heartbreak, our deep frustration is somehow taken up into the pain of God and the healing of the world. But if we offer it back to God, that is precisely what will happen. Isn't that good? Everything that you are facing today, I'm not trying to minimize it. I don't even, I wouldn't even want to be in some of your shoes facing what you're facing today. I wouldn't. But understand that somehow in the mystery of God that he takes up your pain. If you offer it to him and, and, and he will actually use whatever this is for the healing of the world. I've seen that time and time again through the things that I've gone through. And I will experience that time and time again in the future as I go through hard stuff. So the question I want to ask this morning is how might we look at our trials differently Instead of looking at the hard times we face as God being mad at us, instead of expending all of our energy to try to change our circumstances, what would it be like to dig down and find God in the midst of our trials? What would it be like in the midst of of your marriage that's falling apart to dig down and find God in the midst of that instead of trying to change everything? What would it be like in the midst of your financial uh, problems to to, to dig down and find God in the midst of that? Today, I I can think of no better way to close a message like this than to, to, to come to the communion table of the Lord. Because what we see in the in communion is we see the, the broken body of Jesus for the healing of the world. We see the shed blood of Jesus poured out so that we could be brought into his new covenant based on his faithfulness. Today we see that that what happens in Jesus' broken body and shed blood is the same thing that happens to us who put our lives in his hands. That he takes the worst that we experience and he works it for his goodness in and through us. So this morning, I want to ask uh, Floyd and Ethel to come up here, and they will be giving uh, communion. And in the next uh, uh, few minutes, as we, you want to come on up here? I'm looking for you. Uh, as Grace just begins to sing this song that we did in worship earlier, I want you to come on up and, and take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. And realize what this, what this broken bread and, and this cup says. It says that, 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 that brokenness, pain, does not have the last word. God will bring new life out of this. This is God's way of overcoming the world. Jesus put it like this in the last verse of chapter 16. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. How has Jesus overcome the world? With his broken body and his shed blood. Let us remember that this morning as we come to the table. So if you want to take communion this morning, feel free to just come up as we sing this next song. Um,